I'm so excited for this podcast. So um, Leo, who's our business manager, and Jocelyn, who's my friend, uh, that's the ghostwriter, and wrote a book about credit, talked to me today about credit. I feel like this is like this one big issue that no one ever talks about or teaches their kids about. So we had a good conversation about what credit is, what's a good credit score, how to build your credit, how to repair your credit, um, how to teach your kids about credit. And I think this is a really good episode. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope you learned something because I learned some things. Um, and uh, it was really great. So enjoy. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. So I wanted you to come today to talk about credit because after when Leo was here last time, after we st- stopped recording, we were like, oh, there's so much we didn't talk about like credit. And then we were talking, Jocelyn, the last time you were on, you had ghostwritten a book about repairing your credit. Yep. So I was like, perfect. Yeah. It's always like to have two people because two perspectives is better than one. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I only, I mean, I've done research into the industry, but really what I know is what one person's perspective is on it right because he's downloaded it to me so it'll be interesting to see if we sync up sure you might not. yeah i'm definitely not an expert but i've um talked to a lot of people about it and deal with it sort of on a day-to-day basis i think we all have our own opinions on how we do it and how we've seen other people do it and what seems to what seems to work so so let's just start with the basic because i think i i feel like i assume people know Mm-hmm. more than they actually do yep so what is credit what does that mean what does it mean to have credit well <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. so um it is a way basically for it's a score for banks and institutions and anyone um that is basically gonna loan you any kind of money um funds whatever it is uh it's a way for them to know how reliable you are, basically. Right. And it's kind of this check and balance scoring system to rate you on how, you know, what interest rate they should give you, how credible you are. Um, and so, you know, I've heard mixed things about credit and um, how it's used and why it's used. And uh, for, I think for all of us, it's a great way to um, make sure we're doing things okay and, and, things are operating smoothly but you know your credit score will show um if you haven't paid something and that's the big deal right uh. that's the thing that that they're all looking for is are you are you just borrowing money and then not paying for it right. and that's sort of the protection that that you know banks and the like want because they want to know if you're going to pay them back right so that's sort of the underlying thing and what funnels into that score is credit cards Yep. Car loans, um, student, student loans, mm-hmm. student loans, mortgage, any any debt that you take out really is going to funnel into there. 
with okay. the exception of utility bills i think as yeah. long as your it, your utility bills can get turned over to a collection agency at which point it would affect your credit score but generally speaking if you're two months late on your utility bill it's not going to get turned over to a credit reporting agency unless you don't pay it right gets turned you know gets turned off and turned over to collection right okay that makes sense yeah so your phone bill your gas bill things like that do not count if you're mostly keeping up with them right if you're not in collections right yeah. and in collections means that vendor like AT&T has given your bill to someone else so that they can collect it for them because you're not paying right exactly let's uh, say you owed them a hundred dollars a debt collector will go in and they'll buy it from them they'll mm -hmm. say okay we'll pay you ninety dollars to take that off your hands and we'll go see if we can go collect that hundred dollars right and that's how that whole business works and that person the collector can report it to your credit yep got it and there are also some special rules and i don't know what they are regarding medical bills but i know that that is a different category um in terms of how it impacts your score how long it stays on your credit report and when it gets turned over to a credit bureau interesting yeah. Yeah, but I, I wonder what those rules are, how that affects your credit. Because I know a lot of people in the in this country have overwhelming medical expenses from something unexpected, and that would be really hard. Yeah. Well, some of these things, you know, like credit cards, it's a fascinating one because um, some of the advice that I've received um, is that it is actually helpful if, call it once a year, you carry a credit balance rather than just paying off your credit card all at once every single month and you know treating it like like you know religiously paying it off um, the credit score actually goes up if you carry a little bit of outstanding not debt but credit say on a credit card let's say your credit card bill is $100 pay off half of it and then in the next month pay it all off right. and some of the advice that I've gotten is maybe once a year it can be a tiny amount so that you're not paying a tremendous amount of interest, but it's basically showing, you know, in your credit score, the credit card companies, debt collectors, that sometimes you'll leave a little bit of a balance and that's where they make money. So it's appetizing to them to see that sometimes you'll leave a little bit on the table. You're still paying off the balance over whatever period of time. Um, you're not just flat out not paying, but it actually bumps up your score a little bit if you do that once a year. How crazy. Yeah. That was one of the new things that I learned this year about credit. So I've heard that too. I'm, I've heard the opposite as well. But one thing that I do know about it is that a lot of people who are responsible with credit think I don't want to use my credit cards because I don't want to get a low credit score. But you have to use them right. to right. get a high credit score. Right. If you have a credit card and you never, ever use it for anything, you're not giving the credit scoring agencies any information about whether you're able to juggle debt yeah. and whether you're able to pay things on time. And so, and I guess that um, it makes sense what you're saying. It does right. make sense. And I've yeah. heard, you know, I've heard both ways, but. I know. It's a mixed, it's, it's a mixed bag. I know. And they right. change their formula all the time. Too. Right. So when I learned what I learned about credit, since then, it's been changed so many times that it's hard to, you know, really get in there and know what they're doing. They don't want people to hack it. Right. You know. Well, yeah, but there are some basic rules, you yes. know, pay your bills yep. on time or as close to on time as you can mm -hmm. and, and keep up with it. Don't let anything go into default. Is that the right term? Yeah. Okay. And uh, the advice that I've always heard was, um, you know, because especially when people 
whoever it is, young or old, if they've never had, they've never dabbled in borrowing anything, they won't really have a credit score. And so, you know, when I was first starting getting a credit card and building credit, you know, the advice was always, well, um, car loans, whether it's a lease or financing, those impact your credit really in a good way if you're paying them off consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, There are certain types of debts that seem to affect your credit score in a positive way. You know, mortgages are one that build incredible credit history Mm -hmm. um, and proof that, you know, you're paying these things off regularly. Credit cards, you know, they're the obvious one. The advice I've always heard was, um, you know, three or four credit cards. Try not to have any more than that. Yeah. Try and maintain, you know, if you're going to have, let's say you have a $10,000 credit limit across the board on all your credit cards, um, try not to use more than a third of that on a given month. Oh, so that's interesting. And that's what mine is 30% too. Yeah. And, and across the board and on individual credit cards. Yeah. That, right. You know, you don't really want your balance to go above 30%. Yeah. Of your of your, of your credit, credit limit, card. and you really don't want to do that at any point. You you know you don't even want to go. Oh, well, it's going to be at seventy percent for Christmas, a few weeks, right? And then I'm going to pay it off. If you're planning on taking out a loan, they're going to look at what your balance is mm. on that day. Yeah, interesting. So if you have if it's Christmas and I've put all my Christmas shopping on my cards and I'm at seventy five percent and I oops, my car dies and now I have to go buy a new car. Mm-hmm. They're going to go, yeah. wow, she's 75% on that credit card. I'm not sure we can give her a loan. Well, Is that what you mean? Or yes, but I don't think it's score. not quite that drastic. I mean, right. you have yeah. a good credit score and a deep credit history, so it's not quite that drastic. But for people who are rebuilding their credit score and who don't have deep roots, oh. it's really important to kind of follow the rules to the letter because y- you don't have a history yet with them. They can't quite trust you. Right. So the example that we give is, if you were to take a test and get an F on that test, mm-hmm. your parents and your teachers would be worried about your next test. Yeah. But if you took a whole bunch of tests after that and got A's on all of them, people would stop being concerned about your ability to pass a test. So it's the same with credit. If you have bad credit and it's you know pretty recent in your past that you've made some pretty big mistakes, they're going to be a lot more worried about you than if you're a few years down the road of having consistently good credit. Right. Okay. So Jocelyn's advice the last time we talked was for us to get a credit card or just an authorized user credit card for Georgia, which is just part of one of our existing accounts. Yep. Just put it in a drawer so she doesn't use it because her her credit will build based on our credit. Did I understand that right? Yeah. That. And you don't even have to get the credit card. I mean, when you, some credit, um, Car companies won't even, you can say, don't issue a credit card. Mm-hmm. But she's just added to your account right. in name only. Right. Um, and then she benefits from your good credit, assuming that you keep that credit card in, yeah, in yeah. You know, good assuming, standing. Yeah, 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 keep it in good standing. It's a good building block. Uh, I mean, right. it's not the ultimate answer, but at the end of the day, it'll help her be able to get her own credit card right. on her own in the future. Right. And then, you know, it, you'd start building from there. It's just a positive. Loan, you know, student loan, whatever it is that's right. next. You do have to ask the credit card company if they report authorized users to credit scoring agencies because some of them don't. Some of them just put them on in name and then that person's information doesn't go anywhere. So, you know, if you if your point is I want to help Georgia build her credit score, make sure that they will report that she's on this credit card and it's in good standing. Okay. I think a good rule of thumb is if they ask for whether it's online or Mm -hmm. over the phone, if they ask for their social security number then they're probably reporting. Yeah, got it. Yeah, and if not, then you probably should ask. Right, okay, yeah. that's good. 
Good advice. Mm-hmm. So what is a good credit score? What is what is that? Do you know what that range is? I meant to look it up and I forgot. We <laughs> always say 720 and above, but people have different opinions on it. But 720 and above is generally pretty 850 good. 850 is the peak, right? It depends, I think, on the... Uh, yeah. But there are three different major yeah. bureaus, and I think one of them might go to 900. Maybe I'm wrong. But. Not sure. Yeah, I'm definitely not. So 900 is like a unicorn. It doesn't really... <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what it says online. Uh, 900 is a unicorn. Well, the other okay. Thing, the other piece of information that I just um, was told was that there are, I think it's two or three credit scores that exist. There's the a banking credit score. There's sort of the auto world credit score. And then there's the the credit score that we go online. And if you do like Credit Karma or whatever, free free credit reporting, that we see that one, the sort of public one. But we don't ever get to see the banking the credit score. Or, yeah, which is FICO. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the oh. interesting one. Yeah. And then within FICO, you have, if you go to most lenders to get a loan or credit card, you actually have three credit scores. You have your Experian, your Equifax, and your TransUnion. And so what they do is they scratch the top score and the bottom score, and they just go with your middle score. Oh, okay. But it is really confusing because there are all sorts of different formulas, and landlords mm-hmm. use a different formula than right. credit cards do because landlords are more interested in your mortgage history, your rent history, and that sort of thing right. than they are in you know, necessarily your credit card payment history. Yeah, I was the landlord for a long time, and for 10 years, and I would get the most amazing people applicants and they'd have the worst credit yeah. and I just couldn't lease to them yeah. and it would be awful. I felt so bad because, you know, sometimes people get off in a ditch. They just get off in a mm-hmm. ditch and they they it's hard to get back on the road. And that's one of the things that I thought, God, I never I never really thought that you would be threatened for in a certain way with your where you live by maybe putting too much on a credit card yeah. and not paying it. Well, that's why I think your point before about the medical aspect of it. And mm-hmm. if, you know, it's that's so out of someone's hands. Yeah. And for that to affect your credit score, it seems pretty harsh, uh, which is why I think there are other rules for it. But at the same time, when it does affect someone, you know, it's unfortunate because then it affects them being able, being able to get an apartment and all those things. Well, yeah, and that's something where, like I said, I'm not sure what the rules are on medical bills, but medical bills impact your ability to pay everything. Right. So it really is. And, and oftentimes employers look at people's credit scores, which is really potential employers, which is really tragic because, you know, if you've had some medical catastrophe and it caused your finances to take a nosedive, then you might not get a job. Mm-hmm. Right. What's hard is the the lack of leniency with the policy, right? Because when I was a landlord, I would see why, what they were in default on. Mm -hmm. So you could see, oh, this is all medical, but I can't change the score. There was no no leniency for you have a 515 or whatever, and I can't take you as a resident. I see that all of your default is with... Cedar Sinai Medical, (laughs) but I can't I can't help you. It was it's really hard. It must be really hard to be in that position. It was really hard for me. I felt terrible. I, was, I, I don't remember the people even, but I remember getting that result and the feelings I had about having to tell them no. I yeah. felt so bad, you know, because it was obvious. Everything else was fine on their credit. Yeah. But they had this one big chunk. The other thing that I um, have heard is a good piece of advice is to that point, if you do have something outstanding or that's gone to a debt collector, mm-hmm. Paying it off, just saying, oh, shoot, it's gone to a debt collector. They come 
to you and you say, oh, I had no idea and you pay it off right away and just say, you know, I'm, you know, I didn't mean to, whatever the case may be, doesn't actually affect you in a good way. You do have to make sure you communicate with them and say, I need this, you know, I need you to remove this from my credit report or do whatever you can do before trying to negotiate that with them so that it doesn't just show as it was outstanding and then you paid it because I've heard that doesn't actually impact you in a good way. It actually can also impact you in a bad way yeah. because every time you take action on a bill, it restarts the period of time that that is being reported to the agency. So let's say that I have a credit card bill that went into collection six years ago. So it drops off my credit report in a year. Um, but I pay it today. I pay that collection in full. It restarts that seven-year period of time. It does? And so... Yes, but once again, I just wrote a book on this, so nobody should be taking my financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they could read the book you wrote, yeah, which you is but, the same but as make your, your decisions financial advice. Yeah. Okay, but so, but it's the right thing to do to pay it off. And there's a really right. easy workaround, which is you call them up and you say, I have a small amount of money to pay off a couple of outstanding debts. I'm trying to figure out who I should pay it to. If I pay it to you, will you please provide me with a letter of deletion and submit it to the credit scoring bureaus so that this is wiped from my credit report. A letter then, of deletion. I think it's called, is that what it's called? A letter of deletion? You know, I don't know if that's the technical term. I've never heard it, but it's basically the same Yeah. Same uh, piece of advice I've heard. Is, Sounds you know, pretty try fancy. And, yeah, try and, that's the fancy version of what I heard. Yeah, yeah. It's letter trying, of deletion. Yeah, try and get it removed or scrubbed or something from your from your credit. So and they'll say no at first, but if you tell them, okay, well then I'm going to call another one of my debtors and you know give the money to them, they will do it. Yeah. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. You know what's interesting? This is a little off topic, but back to the topic eventually, I promise. I just finished this book called Hillbilly Elegy. Right? It's about Appalachian culture, mm-hmm. which is what I was raised in. And uh, the the person who wrote the book, J. D. Vance, wrote the book. Uh, he grew up in. Kentucky and Ohio and super Appalachian family um, and ended up going to the Marines and then going to Yale uh, at law school mm-hmm. and as a lawyer, right? And kind of transcended out of his hillbilly roots, right? Like I did. I'm not in my hillbilly roots either. And in the book, something he said really struck me is that once he got to Yale, he saw people knowing a system he didn't know existed, and they were talking about things and asking questions about things he didn't even know to ask about. So he felt very dumb, even though he wasn't dumb. Right. Clearly, he's at Yale Law School. Um, there's this whole system that exists with credit mm-hmm. that I was not aware of, privy to, had no idea. So even to ask a question like, can you... Can you give me a letter yeah. of deletion? Right. Would never even occur to even call and say, can you remove this from my credit report if I pay this off? Would never occur to me. I think that happens for in so many different arenas, but in this one especially, because no one ever talks about this, even in in day-to-day life, you know, no one sit, I guess there's no reason to sit down and go, let me explain credit to you, son. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't even have known to have asked that question. And f- when he said that in the book, it started like bricks started tumbling into place of all the things that I'd been through in my life where I didn't know to ask the question. Mm-hmm. So 
that's really cool that you said that that way so someone listening can go oh i need a letter of deletion because so many people yeah. don't know what to ask well, for because you could have such a good intention of going you know i didn't even know this debt was outstanding let me just pay it and you yeah. know make sure i'm clean and clear not knowing that it'll negatively affect your credit when you're trying to do something that you wanted to do from the get-go right so trying to make sure that it's cleared appropriately you do you know it's unfortunate that we don't all know this stuff but hopefully it's i helpful. you know i feel like again to get a little deeper in a subject but i feel like that's what's happening in a lot of rural communities as they feel you know the man is screwing them over mm -hmm. because they don't know to ask that question yeah. and the man whoever the man is doesn't offer the answer doesn't right. say hey and by the way you should ask to have this removed from your credit you know mm -hmm. there's no help there's no like pulling up into the system for for kids like jd vance who went to harvard law he kept saying i just needed to i needed someone to go okay here's how this works you know right i need someone to say this is how you build credit when you get screwed up this is how you fix your credit this is how this works and this is the language you use and this is what you ask for well and this is an interesting system because it's understandable why they don't want to be transparent and and why it's needed like you know it is lenders do need to have this information about the people that they're potentially giving money to uh, yeah but there are so many rumor myths i guess that are so incorrect and that hold people down and so for instance most people if they have bad credit they think they have a terrible credit score for seven to ten years if you've declared bankruptcy you think i'm screwed for seven to ten years and you don't take any action steps to improve your credit and really people who have declared bankruptcy are in a better financial position than they were two years ago most likely and if they take the right steps they can have good credit they have they can have a good credit score their credit report will still show the bankruptcy yeah. but they can have a good credit score in 18 months but people don't know that they think i have had bills and collections i've had a foreclosure i've had a repossession i've you know whatever it is i'm screwed i'm going to wipe my hands of credit because it's going to be bad for seven to ten years and they because they're not giving the credit scoring bureaus any new information about themselves, they continue to have a bad credit score. Right. And it's heartbreaking. Wow. And they're paying so much extra money on, you know, the things that they need, like a car loan or, you know, you do probably need a credit card if you're ever going to go on vacation and rent right. a car. Right. And they're getting sky high interest rates. Right. And they don't need to. Well, then how do they fix that? What are they, how do you rebuild yeah. credit? So jump in here on this because i have some ideas i have some thoughts on this All but right. um <laughs> let's talk about somebody who's had a bankruptcy which is you know a pretty devastating i would imagine financial meltdown um get two or three new credit cards and you're going to have to get a secured credit card or an authorized user credit card or a credit card for somebody with you know intended for somebody with bad credit and there's going to be a high interest rate on that which isn't that big of a deal if you charge something and then pay it off every month. You're not going to have to pay those interest rates. So you get about, you know, two or three credit cards and you get an installment loan because those two things will help your credit score What's if you're an paying installment them. Loan? So it is a car it, we think of them as car loans, but there are other things that you can get an installment loan for and you can go to banks um, or credit unions and ask for an installment loan. They are hard to get when you have a bad credit score. So you're going to get one with, you know, a really um you know, a $3,000, whatever, $600 installment loan. Um, and you pay that off as quickly as you can. 
but you need new credit to build around all of the bad credit. So like I said, people will wipe their hands clean, but really if you open three new credit cards, it's restarting what your credit behavior is. So 18 months down the line, you can have a good credit score. You can't mess up. If you mess up, like I said, you have, you know, you don't have deep roots. So your credit score is going to fall. Um, but you, you know, the, the things you already know, pay your bills on time, keep a low balance, but you do need to get those new credit cards. Mm. Um, the thing that I've, um, been told is, um, try to avoid, you know, obviously with all the new credit cards constantly coming out and the different reward systems and all things like that, people think, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I, I can figure out the system. I can get a bunch of rewards by opening this new credit card and I'll just get rid of this one that I've had for 10 years. And then, you know, when I get those rewards, maybe I'll shut that down, open a new one and get a new, you know, new batch of rewards. That's not actually going to be super helpful for you because in your credit score, history is um, important mm. and they sort of value it and it rates pretty highly. If you're opening and closing credit accounts, credit cards regularly, it's actually hurtful. Yeah, the age of your the age of your credit history yeah. is important. For people who have had financial meltdowns, oftentimes those credit cards are already closed right. and they're in collections. Um, and so to that point, if you're going to open, let's say three credit cards, do it all at once so the aging right. can happen right away instead mm-hmm. of going, oh, I'm going to open one right now and then I'm going to wait a year and open another right. one. Right. You wait a year and then you've just cut the average age of your accounts in half. And right. so you just... Do it all at once um, and you're going to have to, you know, kind of suck it up and get some that aren't great because you're not going to qualify for the great credit cards. Mm -hmm. But then you just pay them off. You charge something and you pay it off the next day. So why do you think, and this is a a big question, why do you think people get in financial trouble? I think knowing how to use, I mean, I think it was the conversation that you and I had I think after the yes. lights were turned off last time, <laughs> it's knowing how to use credit cards. And no, right. no one necessarily is taught what credit cards should be used for and how to utilize them. You know, the 30% rule and right. what credit is, right? You have a $10,000 credit line. Try to only use 3000 of it at any given time. Pay it off. All these things, I think we all just assume are inherent in everyone. And it's helpful if someone would sit down and say, all right, you have a credit card now. Here's what you should do. And you can absolutely use it to your benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning someone's lending you cash, but you should still treat it like it's your cash. Because at the end of the day, the money is going to come out of your bank account to pay for this. It's and not free money. It's not free money. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that is, the I think, the big lesson that everyone should know, but it's not necessarily taught very well, I think. And I think that is a big first step in getting in trouble right I think that's a big first step too and I think the lack of home economics and high mm-hmm. school education <laughs> is part of the problem is, right. because that's where it should be taught home well, it should be, economics yeah, is, sh- you know not about sewing only <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> economics is part of the class really the, kind of the most important thing that you right? should be learning I yeah. think is in home economics, home is economics how to manage your money and your yeah. credits how to write a budget how to run a household how to pay your bills, how to file your income taxes, how to balance a checkbook. I mean, even though everything is so automated these days, you know, with Quicken and QuickBooks, you Mm -hmm. can just boom, 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 download, pull from everywhere, and it does the work for you. You still need to know, I think what (laughs) 
I think what kids these days have a hard time doing because they never had to physically balance a checkbook because, okay, people who, who didn't do this, we had a checkbook and then we had a, a, a journal. It, it was, was a called. register. It a was check a register. register. Yeah. We called it the journal, the checking journal. Um, and you would have to write the date, the check number, who the check was to, the check amount, and then there was a column to like a, a positive and a negative column. And then there was a total like your total balance column. So if you start with $100 and I write a check, check number 102 to Halston, and I write it for $25, then I would write $75 in that column because that's what I took out of the $100. Yep. And the physical activity of writing that down, and then you get like a statement from your bank that says, okay, here's all the checks that have cleared. And you would you would uh, cross-reference them with your journal and see if they balanced, if what the bank said you had is what you say you have, and that's how you tracked your spending. Yep. But we don't have to do that anymore. I mean, <laughs> I just bought a new wallet at this shopping party that has a checkbook insert for it because I have two people that I have to write checks to every week. They just don't take Venmo right. or PayPal. They just don't. They want a physical check. So I don't even think I have physical checks anymore. I, I have to for these two people <laughs> every week. I write two checks a week. So I'm like, I kept forgetting my checkbook. So I bought a wallet with a checkbook in it. And I, I cannot tell you how much fun I was made of. You still have a checkbook? <laughs> Who has a checkbook these days? What are you, 80? You walk around with your checkbook? You're writing checks for groceries now? <laughs> I'm like, no, I just have these two people every week. I have to write a check. So I don't, I think the, the process of doing that checkbook journal or, or what'd you call it? Register, um, helps you in your brain go, oh, okay, I know I put my hundred dollar paycheck in. I've already spent like 80 because I can see it in my checkbook. So I need to stop, but there's no, no like real good way for kids to track that. I don't yeah. think. I think that process gives you, um, an understanding of the value of that $100. Oh, yeah. When you're using a credit card and it's just you're not paying attention to it, the value of $100 is kind of lost. Yeah. If you're not tracking it and, you know, it's I think the example we've talked about before about if you have $100 cash and that was your budget for whatever period of time and you had to use cash to spend and buy things, you treat that a lot differently than if you if you said you have a hundred dollars on this credit card, mm -hmm. there's no longer a value to it. It's just, you know, you swipe it and until it stops working, you're maybe not really paying attention to it. And I well, think that's... and that's really interesting because I think we've kind of conflated credit cards now and debit cards, mm -hmm. whereas one is actually what your money is. Right. And then the other one is access to money that you're borrowing. Yep. And it's the same action now, right. whether, you know, whichever one you're using. Same, I think, in the kid's brain yeah. is that it, credit <laughs> or debit at the end of the day is just free money. Money is such a kind of abstract, uh, abstract yeah. yes, yeah. term. And my my friend did what you suggested and gave her daughter a credit card, but she gave her the actual card and said, this is for emergency only. <laughs> and her mom and I went out of town and when she came home, she was like, um, yeah, so I spent $400 on the credit card. Wow. And her mom was like, on what? She was like, I just kept buying everybody's Starbucks and buying everybody's lunch. Yeah. And buying in what? We were gone 24 hours. You know what, she though? she spent $400. I mean, look, this is, this is so <laughs> great, though, because that's a great lesson. Like, now the mom can act like 
a credit card company and call her on her cell phone at 8 a.m. and then at 8.25 a.m. and be like, when are you going to pay this off? Because I actually (laughs) think that it's important if a person is going to make that mistake, mm-hmm. make it when you have the safety net of your parents. Sure. Don't make it when you're going to get charged all these late fees and right. you're, you know, it's actually going to kill your credit score. Right. Do it, learn the lesson from it. And then when you're 18, 19, 20, you're like, okay, I don't want to do that. Right. They're going to start calling me all the time. And I mean, I have to avoid phone calls. I'm going to pay all these <laughs> extra, you know, rates. That's a good so, point. I guess it is a good learning curve. So when we so we worked on a on a project for teenagers and the first step was the authorized user credit card. And it was, you know, you don't get the credit card. The right. second step was borrowing money from the bank of mom and dad. Ah. Where, you know, you're still not using the credit card, but you're a little more responsible, you're a little older, and now you're like, okay, I'm going to borrow $50 from my mom, and here's when I'm going to pay it back, and I'm going to have an arrangement with my mom so that if I don't pay it back, there are some really serious consequences. And then the third step is, okay, now you can use this authorized credit card for things that I have approved for you. And if they can do those three things well, then they're set up a little bit better to go off at the age of 18 and use credit responsibly on their own. And there is a danger in having an 18-year-old have a good credit score because if they don't have the impulse control to manage their own credit cards responsibly, then you've set them up for failure. You're like, well, I got you a 720 credit score Mm -hmm. and now you qualify for all these great credit cards with a high, you know, limit and low interest rates and they go wild. You you don't want that. Well, that's a hard thing too, is just because you qualify for something doesn't mean you can afford it. Right. You know, that's what happened in the housing crisis, I think, because they would get, people would get qualified for million dollar house and and you go, I remember this friend, these two friends of ours that bought this house that they qualified for. And I kept going, yeah, but what's the monthly payment on that? And they'd tell me and I'd go, but you can't, but you can't afford that monthly mortgage right. payment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they may be saying you you qualify for a million-dollar loan, but you can't afford right. a yeah. million-dollar loan. So to have the self-control and the wisdom, you know, I think that's something else that happens in a lot of communities that, well, the bank said we could do that. Yeah. But the bank doesn't know that you just bought two brand-new cars and you have a kid in college and, you you know, you have this medical thing you have to take care of. They don't know that. They just know that you qualify. Well, the for problem a then was that they, even if they did know it, they were just being very lenient and saying, "Yeah, we'll lock you in, and you'll have to pay your mortgage. And if you don't, we'll sell it off to somebody else." And terrible. it was yeah. So there was that whole. I mean, banks terrible. make their money off of people with yeah. bad credit scores. Well, so yeah. and people who you know default and all of those things. The the banks the banks are doing quite well. They're well, not. Yeah. They're a business. They're not exactly yeah. set up to help people improve their credit score. So yeah, I think there's uh, yeah. a really good thing in credit that. It can be a, a really um, good incentive for people if they're willing to spend the time. Credit card rewards now are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're not treating a credit card as if it's free money that um, you don't have in the bank, as long as you treat it as if it's money that you have in the bank, someone's basically lending you this money to spend before you have to spend yours. Right. It's just delaying you using your own. Right. But on top of that, they give you airline miles or cash back or whatever the rewards are. So as long as you're not treating it outside of what you would normally spend, you can kind of make a little bit on top of it. You know, it's a half a percent or whatever it is. Um, But I think that's that can be the fun part about it. And it can be you know, just being diligent. Some people I know, I mean, my wife is one of them who just loves 
figuring out where she was gonna <laughs> spend the money anyway. So what credit card is the best way to do it? Oh, I get 3% back on this purchase that right. I was gonna do anyway. Right. You know, you're buying a new washer dryer or something. You're gonna spend a lot of money. Why not use one of your credit cards that's gonna give you some big incentive to use it anyway? And Absolutely. instead of it coming out of your checking account, let it you know sit on the credit card for a month and then pay it off. Right. It's great. So there can be really positive things out of it. Yeah. But it's just not getting caught up in the hey, I don't have to pay it for a month, so I'll I'll spend the money. Right. And it may not be money that you have. Because right. my future is definitely definitely exactly. involved a lottery yeah. ticket that I'm, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, going back to your point about why people get into trouble, I do think that a lot of people from, you know, childhood, and I, I know I have this. My mom, I had a single mom. She was poor. Money was tight. And I went through my life thinking, we're poor. Money is tight. I don't know the secrets that the rich people know. Yeah. And so if that's what my identity is, then I'm certainly not going to go, well, wait, wait, wait. How do you hack it the way that your wife hacks right. it? Because my people don't do that. We that's, don't know yeah, how to do that. That's exactly yeah. what but, I was talking about. Yeah. There are some really easy things like if you have a credit card, regardless of what your credit score is today, if you have a credit card that you start paying off. So let's imagine a scenario in which you don't have a lot of extra spending money. And so you're probably paying the minimum on your credit card, which is going to take you years and years to pay off. But what if instead of paying your car payment out of your bank account, you made that payment to the credit card company, and then the next day you made your car payment using your credit card account? What's going to happen is that that particular credit card company is going to go, oh, this person is using this credit card really well, makes a lot of payments on it. You can call that credit card up and say, can I get a higher balance? And all of a sudden you have a little bit of breathing room where you can start getting, you know, getting ahead a little bit. You can start right. doing the things that you're talking sure. about. And I don't think that people, you know, realize that they can do that. No, I don't think they do. I think putting a lot of things on auto pay mm -hmm. that goes to one credit card. And then now instead of making 18 payments a month, you're mm -hmm. making one large mm -hmm. payment a month. Yep. I think that also helps you conceptualize your budget, you know, to say, yeah. I owe the car, the um, Department of Water and Power, the gas company, my gasoline, if it's all in one place. And you do that for a couple of months, even if later you spread it out over a couple cards. Yeah. If you do that for a couple of months, it would give you a good sense of how much you spend if you don't already know. Because I think a lot of people go, I know a lot of people I talk to go, well, I have no idea how much is I, I spend a month. I have no idea. That's and a I, great point. You know, if you have one or two credit cards that you use heavily, it's a great budgeting tool to go, mm -hmm. you know, my credit card bill should be this much every month. And when it's above that, you know, you know, what did I do this month? Did something's I buy something big or, yeah. you know, and I, I do think that that's a great marker for people to use because, you know, then so many things can be paid by credit cards now, you know, other than like a mortgage, some car payments you can't. Other than that, you know, a lot of your regular bills, utilities, mm -hmm. things for the house, um, groceries, all that stuff can all go onto one or two credit cards. And then, you know, whether you're staying within that range. Right. So. And if you're lost, because I think a lot you know, a lot of times people don't know where to start. You know, if, you're, if your car's going west and you need to turn it east, how the heck do you do that? Yeah. You know, what's the simple, small things that you can do? I don't know about you guys, but Quicken was a game changer for me. And, and now Quicken, I don't use it anymore because right. Leo helps us with our money. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, 
but when I was doing it, you know, now they have an app where you can you can automatically put receipts through your app and track it and really look at what your spending looks like. But if that's even too sophisticated, maybe the one credit card way is the way one or two yeah. is the way to go because it's basically the same thing. Yeah, it's so you can see what you're spending. And with the app on your phone, I mean, that's that's the thing that I've used for years. You know, you know, I used Quicken and QuickBooks and all these things. But at the end of the day, the easiest thing is I have the app on my phone. And if it's once or twice a month in between paying off the bill, you see what your balance is. And, you know, it's a good little like check at the middle of the month to say, am I above or below what I should be spending right now? Or, you know, why is my bill so high? I think it's it's the a very simple way of sort of checking yourself and making sure you're on track. I know I know people like my dad feel like that is just too overwhelming. Right. Right. And it really I, I understand that feeling, but it, every time I've sat with my dad and taught him an app, he's always, Oh yeah. well that's easy. And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> so maybe the fear of it is far worse than actually sitting down and trying to figure it out. Well, you know. I think the fear of this entire subject is far worse than it needs to be. And I think that yeah. a lot of people are in a place where they are so overwhelmed by the number of bills that they have to pay and they haven't paid and the collections calls that are coming in that they just avoid it. And the truth of the matter is even bankruptcy isn't as scary as it sounds. So like worst case scenario is not actually that bad. Mm. Worst case scenario being you know bankruptcy is okay, you have your your slate is wiped clean and you get to start over as opposed to constantly being terrified. Mm-hmm. But people don't think in those terms. They just hide, you know, they hide. And so right. they don't look at the apps and all of the things that can really help them out and just small, small techniques that would save them from bankruptcy if they implemented them. Right. That and I think, I think that when when they claim bankruptcy, mm-hmm. there's got to be another a different path. You know, some people bankruptcy happens because something catastrophic has happened in their life, yeah. and mm-hmm. and this is a one off thing. Some of it, I think, happens because they just max their credit yeah. cards out and then max everything out, and then can't possibly, you know, claw themselves out from under this heap. Right, but. Uh, uh, behavior has to change after that or you'll just end up in the same place for sure you know yeah. so you have to find some kind of resource that can sit with you or re- that you can read or a podcast you can listen to or something mm-hmm. where you can go okay here's what you do you open your bills every monday <laughs> and on monday yeah. you put them in the piles pay this today pay this on wednesday pay this whatever and you just handle it yep. and you don't put your head in the sand because they're not going away Yeah, I think it's really hard for people to get to that place when they're terrified. And so, I mean, I guess that my point being is that if you are in a situation where you're terrified, try to try to do a little bit of research and get yourself out of that mindset because it's really not. It's just not as bad as you're making it seem. Right. And and by feeling that way, you're actually making it worse. Like if you let's say that I'm in a situation where I am. I am, you know, under a heap of bills that I cannot pay. If I avoid it, I'm going to continue to feel that way for four or five or 10 years. Yeah. Versus if I deal with it today in in whatever that, you know, capacity might be, then a year or two down the road, I'm like, okay, we're, we're not feeling this way anymore. Right. You know, maybe it's two months down the road. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As soon as you start owning it, I think even just this stress relief mm-hmm. of that, of, you know, 
opening the mail. You, you got to open it at some point. You yeah. know, the, the further you just let it sit, it's almost that anxiety and the stress of not having yeah. opened it because you don't know what's in it. Yeah. But open it and empower yourself and own it. I think that goes a long way. I think it does too. I have one friend who's the mail just stacks up. Yeah. And I go, how do you do that? I open it the day I get it. And if it's a bill, it goes in this envelope so I can deal with it all on one day. And if it's a correspondence I need to respond to, it goes here. And if it, and I just, I touch it one time yeah. and then I can sit down and deal with it at whatever time that comes, you know, in my week. So I send it to you yeah. to process it or I'll sit down and deal with all the correspondence all at one time so I don't feel like, oh, I have to deal with this now. But if I were to just stack it up on my desk, oh my God, by the end of the week, I'd be like, it's going to take me an hour to open all these envelopes. Right, yeah. There's no way. Well, if you can't pay your bills, then, you know, you just <laughs> stack them up. But here's the thing. When you were talking about, you know, dealing with it right away, you can call people and say, I can't pay this. Is there something that yeah. you can do? And I have personally had so much money erased from like, you know, just stupid overpaying on cable and things like that, where, you, you know, you're, it's a ridiculous amount of money. And you call them up and say, look, I'm really struggling this month. At a minimum, can I pay it late? But most often you can get somebody on the phone who will work with you a little bit if you truly are in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people know that either. Right. Well, no, I think I they're think not, they do. they're not confident in it. You know, there's almost, yeah. there's a level of embarrassment or yeah. shame, I think in this arena, you know, yeah. this, this arena of credit or finance, you know, and people don't want to talk about it if they're unsure about themselves or they're unsure that they can pay something or they really don't think that they can openly talking about it, you know, in our society feels like something we shouldn't be doing, I think. So people don't want to make that call. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. I think you're right. And from the book I read, I didn't really realize this, uh, this was a cultural thing, but uh, it's pretty cultural to feel like they're, you know, to make that phone call, they're definitely going to screw you over at some point. Right. They may say, okay, your cable bill is a hundred bucks. You can pay $50 this month. December is going to be 150 bucks. They're getting it back. So what's the point? That's the mentality oh, I see. of that. I is see. They will get it back. They're not, there's nothing free. No right. one's really going to help you. It's going to come back and bite you in the ass at some point. So why do that? Just fuck them. I'm not paying it at all. Well, and making uh, you know. phone calls now is just getting further and further Ugh. into history. It people, is. People, right? people, people don't want to pick up the stuff. phone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people don't. Yeah. And, and, and to the opposite point, when you go, hey, I need some customer service help. Oh, my God. Amazon sent uh i ordered a softball glove for georgia right the picture shows a right hand throw which is a glove that fits yeah. on the left hand but there's no way to specify which hand the glove is so i go okay well the picture shows so mm -hmm. it's got to be that glove no it was a left hand throw so i get it and i go on amazon to find how do i call somebody because I don't, I need an exchange, but there's no way for me to specify, right. hey, this is a right hand throw. Right. I need, a, this is a left hand throw. I need a right hand throw. So I'm just going to call them. It took me 20 minutes to find their phone number. 20 full minutes to find their phone number. Yeah. Someone like my dad is never going to nope. do that. And I go, I'm pretty savvy and I can't find your freaking phone number. Yeah. yeah. And I, I finally found their phone number and called them and explained to them what was going on. And I was, he, she was like, I see what you're saying. There's no way to specify. And I said, so is there any way you can send a note to the warehouse? And she went, yeah, I don't, I don't think we can do that. I'm like, you can't write a note and walk it to the <laughs> warehouse and go, hey guys, there's no way for her to tell you, but she needs, and then she kept saying, I think you have the wrong model number. And I'm like, no, I have a photograph 
of a glove that is on my girl's team. A teammate has this glove and we took a picture of this model number and it is the right glove. Well, I'm thinking maybe she just tried to spin it eight ways to Sunday. And I was like, no, you know, you just need to send a note to the person. Yeah. And they couldn't do it. So she refunded my money. Oh, well. I mean, I got my money yeah, back. But go. at the same time, I was like, wow, we've really lost that personal connection yeah, right. entirely. Mm-hmm. Where you can't just pick up the phone and go, hey, hey, Jimmy down in the warehouse, could you make sure you have the right glove? It just uh, That doesn't work like that anymore. That is true, I think, to some extent. But I actually had to call LADWP the other day. And, I imme- and it was a billing issue. And I got somebody on the phone immediately who was very, very helpful. So it does still exist. Mm-hmm. And I think it is... It, it is does. worth it. You know, it's worth it to, to call when you're struggling, but it's also worth it to call when you're, you know you're doing really well and you're paying your bills on time and you're like, oh, I'm, you know, six months into some really new, better habits. Call and say, can I get a better rate? Can I get somehow get better terms on this credit card? There's no harm in doing that. So I'm glad you brought that up. You, you sign up for a credit card and it has an APR, an annual percentage rate. Isn't that what that stands for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if your APR is 9% or 10%, let's just say It'll for be math. 20. What do you mean? <laughs> It'll be for credit cards. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. Credit cards. Oh, they're that Especially high now? bad credit, you're, yeah. you're not getting you're 9 like, or 10%. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Just for, for argument's sake. sake. Yeah, yep. exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. I wanted you to explain what that means in the context of using a credit card. So someone goes, oh, well, I don't really know what an APR is. What does that mean even? So well, if you... If you don't pay it, like, so whatever the percentage is. Let's keep it at 10s and 100s. Keep it at 10%. Um, Let's say you don't pay your entire balance the first month. Let's say you spend $1,000 on your credit card in that first month. You opened it. You spent $1,000. And now it comes time your bill is due. And you don't have $1,000 to pay it down. So you pay down half of it. You pay down $500. You still owe five hundred dollars on that credit card, and now what the credit card company is going to do? They're going to say, "Okay, well, we loaned you a thousand. You gave us five hundred back, no charge on that five hundred because you paid it within the time frame that you agreed to. This five hundred that you haven't yet paid, we now get to charge you interest until you pay it off. There, call it ten percent. If they get to charge you that." annualized it gets scrunched down into the time period you know call it a month for every day not a month daily for every day that you don't pay that balance they're charging you interest on it and so if it breaks down to be whatever percentage per day that five hundred dollars turns into five hundred one five hundred two five hundred three so a month later if you say okay i i now have that five hundred they say okay but you actually owe us five hundred and twenty dollars that compounding, right, with people owe thousands of dollars with the credit, uh, with the rates that are more likely to be received with a credit card, like 20 something percent, mm-hmm. that adds up quickly. And your $500 can very quickly become double that if you don't pay your credit cards for, and you only pay the minimums for a couple of years, you'll owe more in interest than you spent in the first place right so that's the tricky thing with credit cards is it's very easy to lose control because you said you know i just i needed to spend i had an emergency i had to spend five hundred dollars i couldn't pay it at the time that 500 becomes you know a very enormous amount very quickly and so if you have the opportunity in an emergency situation especially when you're younger and you have the safety net of a parent sometimes to not 
spend it with someone who's going to charge you a ridiculous amount and go to someone and you know your parents and say can i borrow 500 bucks but that's that's the harsh lesson that i think you learn very quickly but it's out of it gets out of control because if you can't come up with the 500 then it's how do i how do i come up with this extra money that they're charging so rapidly uh, at such a high rate that's the scary thing about the credit card. So I have a question. So mm-hmm. say it's the $500 is your balance due mm-hmm. still. Say, just for argument's sake, $20 is your interest for that month. So mm-hmm. now it's 520 So on the next month, do they charge you interest on 520 Yeah. Or so it's, it's on 520 right? Yeah, it's compounding. It's compounding. Yeah. So, so the then the 520 the becomes 545 sure. yeah. which yeah. then becomes 585 And now yeah. all of a sudden you owe an extra $100 over the course of two or three months. Yeah. So then your minimum is usually right around the same amount as your interest, isn't right. it? It's usually $35. I mean, you, you can eventually usually pay it off. if yeah. you pay. The, I think they have to make it your minimum such that you can eventually Achievable. pay the minimum, it off. Yes. It yeah. normally says if you pay the minimum on the statement, uh, it typically says if you pay the minimum, Minimum, you will pay it off by whatever and it'll have the number law that was like they have to tell you that now right. i think you're yeah 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 but it's normally a long period of time but it's, it's forever. like you know i'm gonna yeah. die by yeah. the time and they should also put yeah. and at the end of this time period yeah. you will have paid yes. eight million dollars on yeah. your five hundred dollars i think that is where people get confused is that apr is not explained it's not explained how that happens mm-hmm. it's not a one-time charge and then you're done you don't yeah. they don't just make 10 percent on 500 and that's it, it it's compounding like you said yeah. um, it, there are less expensive uh places to borrow money a credit card is not a great place to borrow money it's a very like i said before a great way to um it's good short-term money, mm-hmm. you know, 30 days 60 days something like that is what i would say if you can't pay it off within that time period I would try desperately to avoid um, spending it that way right. because it's one of the harshest interest rates you'll have. Yeah. You know, I think of credit cards. I got in a lot of credit card trouble when I was younger, a lot. And it took a long time for me to get out of it because mm-hmm. I was, you know, writing. I was poor and struggling to get from A to B every month. And I really relied on my credit cards. But once we started making you know, more money, my first priority was to get those down because I felt like that was just so much money flushed down the toilet in interest rates. Mm-hmm. That, But for a long time, I really had to carry a balance. I really had to. I had, we we'd had to. I mean, at one point, Bert asked me for like 50 bucks to go gamble, uh, like to play poker with yeah. his friends. And I was like, don't got it. We don't got it. Yeah. <laughs> so just, can you put it on the credit card? Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't, but not that particular poker game. But... I mean, I think there's been times when all of us, especially when we're young, really have to rely on it. Yeah. But I guess you just have to make sure once the opportunity starts happening that you can actually really get rid of it. What I started thinking about when we were able to to really afford our credit cards was I think of it more like money laundering in that I have the money in my bank. So I'm just going to run it through their wash. Yeah, it's the game, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you get a little percentage back and yeah. you know, it becomes a little a little fun game. And you get the little rewards on the yeah. side, whatever they are. So I'm just running it through the wash. Yeah. So it's really my money. But I wasn't able to think that way before, before yeah. I had to think of it as a loan. Well, you I know? watched a, I went to a, um, um, a uh, speech given by um, Frank Abagnale, who was the... Uh, the film Catch Me If You Can. Mm, okay. uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. So he was, he, you know, he uh, 
knows he now works for the FBI. Um, and it was a fascinating seminar that he talked about protecting your identity, protecting your credit, all these things. And he loves credit cards because he doesn't ever want to, he avoids ever giving someone his banking information. Mm. He says, you know, oh, interesting. someone yeah. having your account that is where your cash lives is the thing that he says avoid like the plague, right? So a credit card, you can dispute all day if someone accidentally, you know, steals your credit card information. Credit card companies say, call us up if there's a charge that, you know, they do fraud protection as well. If you use your debit card, you know, I have tons of stories of people that go overseas and use their debit card to pull out cash and ATM. And by the time they get home, their checking account is wiped clean. Yeah. Someone snagged their debit yeah. account number and trying to fight with the bank to get your money replenished, your hard money replenished in a checking account is so difficult and it's so time consuming. As opposed to a credit card, they'll say, okay, we'll investigate. But while we investigate, we're going to take this charge off of your account. Right. Um, so it's fascinating that it's almost, a, it, it can also be used as a, prote a security protection for yourself. Right. Um, so that no one has access to your your actual hard-earned dollars. It's just an account that someone's lending you money. So the credit card companies are incentivized to really protect what you're spending and where you're spending it. And, you know, I mean, how many of us have gotten a, a card frozen or the, all of a sudden they send you a new card in the mail because something happened that you didn't even know yeah. about? Oh, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of protection in it, too. Credit right. cards can be a great thing. Yeah. And that's what I, I always try and use that mentality of I'll try and use my credit card and every and any situation because I know I'm always trying to spend money that I have right? Um, or know that I'm going to have to spend in 30 days when I pay off this bill. Right. That's always the goal. Right, right, right. Can, can we go back to something yeah. that you yes. were talking about too? Because I think this is a good tip. Um, let's just say for the sake of argument that you have to use your credit card on the first of the month. I'm going to make this easy. So it's the first of the month. You have to you know, charge something a hundred dollars and you don't have that hundred dollars. You're like, I, I, you know, all of my money is allocated on the 15th. I'm going to buy groceries. I'm going to do all of these things. So the first of the month you spend the hundred dollars. The interest on that hundred dollars would start the first of the next month. Correct. It actually, let's say you open the credit card today. Mm -hmm. Your statement's going to close in 30 days, right? Right. And that, bill won't be due probably for another 20 to 30 days so technically that hundred dollars that you spent today may not be due last minute due before any interest is owed for maybe 45 to 60 days from the actual charge date great so yeah. let's say let's say 60 days sure okay so you have 60 days to pay off that hundred dollars without accruing interest you can push that date back even further by on the 15th when you're going to buy groceries pay your credit card instead and then allocate credit card money, you know, to the groceries. And I think there, there are all sorts of, does that make sense? Yes. So mm -hmm. now, now the interest doesn't start for another 15 right. days. And so people who are really, really struggling financially, and there's a lot of them out there can start doing things like that mm. so that they're not having to deal with the interest rates that they have to deal with today. I see what you're mean. You're, yeah. you're, you're saying it's like a shuffle, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like shuffling your, your charge payment, charge payment, charge payment, instead of charge and then pay for other things with your cash so that charge accrues interest, you're paying it 
before. Is that what you mean? Yes. And I, and then you don't have to use your banking account information. Right. Um, and I think that for, you know, a lot of people, when you're you really mean. in financial trouble, you have to, it, it's not ever great to be in the position where you have to do that shuffle. That's not a fun place to be. No. Nobody wants to have to do that. But it's a good strategy when you're in a lot of trouble because you can avoid really all of the interest rate that you would have otherwise paid from today going forward if right. you start doing that right now. Right. And a lot of payments you can make online. You know, you can yeah. can make through yep. your bank to your credit card directly. So it may take you maybe two minutes to log into your bank account and send a payment, payment. to your credit card because it doesn't it's not very hard to link those accounts. Yep. So as as much as you're like, oh God, no, this is the old school in me. I gotta write a check every time <laughs> and send it in with a with a stamp. No, you no. can just do it uh, digitally, right? So you're right, it may be a pain in the butt, but if you're really in a bad way, that sounds like a great way to manage your interest because managing your interest is really what yeah. it's all about. Cash is cash. Yep. 100 bucks is 100 bucks. It's the interest that kills you on everything, on mm-hmm. your mortgage, on your car payment, on on your uh, default credit cards, on your regular credit cards. Yeah, and it's not it's not even interest that you can deduct or anything like that. You know, at least with a mortgage, there's some benefit yeah. behind it. But um, yeah. With this, credit cards, it literally... Painful. It's flushed. Well, yeah. and it's kind of a fun game, I think, if you like look at it as, okay, what's the amount of interest that I'm paying right now? How am I going to game the system so that I don't have to do this going forward? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think if you kind of gamify it that way for yourself, it can be less of an, you know, just awful feeling to be in credit card debt. Right. Any, any chance to um, take what inherently is a stressful thing, finances, money, credit, all these things, you have a way that you can flip it around and make it fun for yourself or yeah. a game or right. something it's going to help you that's called reframing yeah. yeah yeah to, to reframe it in your mind to say uh when you feel out of control to reframe it so you feel in control right mm-hmm. if you feel right. overwhelmed to reframe it so you feel yeah. on top of it it's it's that's actually i think the key to almost everything in your brain to trauma to emotional problems marital problems anything is to reframe how you think about something because empowering yourself by reframing it, action is inherent in that right but if you keep yourself powerless inaction is inherent in that mm-hmm. so it's all about how you know that piling up of the bills that you don't open is inactivity which is you know victim behavior which yeah. is i you know fear behavior it's not positive for you in any capacity emotionally or you know you're what are you there's another thing i think of all the time what are you telling the universe that you deserve what are you saying you deserve Mm -hmm. by letting that stack of bills pile up and not handling it you're saying i deserve to not be in control i deserve to be overwhelmed i deserve to be oppressed by this stack when i don't think anybody deserves that right i think if you just go you know what i deserve to be in control of that stack that stack doesn't own me i own that stack well that's the thing i always think about it as is something good just going to happen to me or can i own it and make something good happen yeah and you have to be open to receiving that you know and if you're saying to the universe no 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 what does it hear no here's no 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 and this is a subject that anybody can master it Uh, really is i mean you can have a minimum wage earning job but know so much about money and interest rates and do better than someone with a great paying job who's 
not being wise. Absolutely. And there are lots and lots of stories about that. And so it's just a matter of how much knowledge are you going to decide to empower yourself with? And is this something that you're going to go, you know what, in the next 10 years, I'm going to become an expert on this. You really can. You can do that for free. It is online. It, it It's there. Yeah, it is. And it's about goal setting, too. It's about mm-hmm. realistically setting your goals. I mean, my aunt was a school teacher and she retired early a millionaire because she made specific goals. She was like, this is how much goes in my retirement. This is how much goes in my kid's college fund. This is how much we live on. And she stuck to it. And uh, when we were talking before about what makes a millionaire, Mm -hmm. it's not that lottery ticket. It really isn't. Most millionaires drive a car for eight years. They, you know, they they make smart decisions. And you can make smart decisions with five bucks just as easily as you can with Mm -hmm. five million. It's about Mm -hmm. making a smart decision and weighing what is my benefit if I go to Forever 21 and buy a bag full of clothes? Yep. My benefit is I'm going to have all this credit card debt I can't pay. Is that really a benefit? Does right. that really get me to my goal, which is to be right. debt-free in five years or to pay off my student loans by the age of 35 or whatever, whatever is realistic for that. Yeah. But I think goal setting is really important and it's something that kids aren't really taught at, to think – at least for me, sometimes I will learn something and it took maturity for me to be able to apply that other places. So like Isla is learning how to write a five paragraph essay, introduction, three body paragraphs, conclusion. But she then when she's asked to write a three paragraph essay in history, doesn't think she knows how to do it. Well, I'm like, well, if you're doing that in English, it's the same thing in history or science Mm -hmm. or math or architecture or art or whatever. If someone says, I need a five paragraph essay, you know how to do that. But she doesn't realize she knows how to do that. And even though in school, sometimes they're taught how to set a goal in PE. What's your PE goal? They don't apply that to English. My goal is to have an A by the end of this semester. How do I get that done? I think that's another thing that home economics could probably do is to say, Mm -hmm. how do you apply what you've learned in these other subjects to life? And goal setting is huge. Bert Kreischer is the best goal setter I have ever known. He goes on his birthday every year by himself and has lunch and sets his goals for the year. And I'll be damned if that guy doesn't get every single goal because he sits down and puts it on paper. Yeah. And to have something that you can go back to that's really concrete with money or with anything is really important. I think a lot of people don't do that with their money. It's too scary. Yeah. And they don't have to even start big because a lot of goal setting is just forming the habit. If you decide I'm going to save a dollar today and a dollar tomorrow and just keep doing that, you're not saving a lot of money. And perhaps you can't save a lot of money because you don't have it there, but you're building the habit. Yeah. And there's just no shame in doing that. No. It, there's only there's only good things that can come from it's very from building true. Habit. Yeah, and you know something I did right when Georgia was born is I set up. We haven't even changed this, and we totally could afford to. But when both girls were born, I did this for both of them. I had an automatic transfer to a savings account for twenty five dollars a month. Which is not that much money. But at the time when Bert's asking me for 50 bucks to play poker and I don't have it, Mm -hmm. it's because I've spent that 50 bucks putting it in my kid's savings account. So now it's a few thousand dollars, right? It's not huge. But guess what? When they want to go buy a car, not a bad down payment. 
and it was 25 bucks a month and I don't even do it. I just set it up to automatically transfer from my checking account to their savings account every month. That is so funny that you bring that story up because I just did, there's some app and I don't even know what it is. I don't even know the name of it, but there's an, a savings app and I was like, oh, I'm going to try this out. And I did $12.50 a week. So 50 bucks a month. And I've been doing this and I don't even notice. Like I, there's right. nothing that I don't get a notice. From, they might be stealing my money, but I don't, get a, <laughs> I don't get a notice from them. I have no idea what's going on. And I was like, well, if I can do $12.50 a week, a week right? I can do $13 a week go, yeah. and not notice that right and I was just thinking how far can I go yeah. before I notice right like at what point do I go oh that hurt right yeah right that's funny because if you can do 13 really could you do 15 just make it even probably you know 60 bucks a month probably well, yeah. I looked at their savings account like six months ago I haven't I don't look at it because it's like you don't, out of sight yeah, out of yeah, mind yeah and I thought, wow, that's actually not bad. And I haven't put birthday gifts there, nothing like that. It's just been that straight $25 a month. transfer a month since they were really, I don't think it may have been after Isla was born, but it's been a long time. Um, so little simple things like that can help you save. I know that when I was in Home Ec, Miss, uh, Miss Edmondson said that you should tithe 10% and save 10% of every paycheck. That's what I was taught. So that's what I tried to do until I couldn't do that. Like I didn't have 20% of my income right. to, to save or tithe when I was younger. I had to live on almost all of it. But I always kept that in my brain. And when yeah. we can ever get to that place where even if it's not 10%, if it's 2%, at least it's something. You know, that's what my father-in-law always used to say about retirement. Even if you put $300 in your retirement account, at least contribute something. So then nothing can grow yeah. into nothing, <laughs> but something can grow into something more, even if it's not that much. Um, well, it's hard to have the foresight to go, you know, to think about ourselves in the future. Right. We very much live now yeah. and go, but now I need X, Y, Z. In the future, I'll win the lottery or right. I'll be making so much more money that I'll make up for this year of not putting any money away. And, um, you know, having the habit of going, no, I have to think about myself for the future, for that emergency or that whatever, right. or for the girls, um, it makes such a difference. And, you know, you close right. your eyes to it and you go, wow, it did work. Right. That's the feeling that we should all strive to have in the future to go, thank God I thought about myself. Right. right. That's see, that's my problem is that I'm very optimistic about my future. <laughs> so. But you and Bert are related because if it weren't for me, we would have a, not a nickel. Yeah. I don't think. I mean, he makes really great money, but the number of hats he buys, right. we'd be done. One thing that helped me a little bit with that was that I'm so I'm self-employed. So I and to some extent, I really control how much money I make by how many hours I decide to work. And I am very optimistic about what I'm doing with my life. And I always have been. And it has gotten me into a lot of financial trouble. But then my sister actually told me, start thinking about it, not in terms of dollars, but in terms of hours of your life. So when oh. you're getting ready to make like, you know, oh, I'm going to buy these jeans or whatever stupid thing it is that you don't need, go, okay, it costs... $137 to buy this pair of jeans. How many hours of my life do I have to give up right. to get this pair of jeans? And is it worth it to me? 
That's a great way. And it's way usually of it. not worth it, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. That's a great way of looking at that. That when you go to Forever Twenty One with that hot smoking yeah. credit card, and you go, okay, that takes me a week and a half of working at Starbucks yeah. to buy this bag mm-hmm. of clothes. How badly do I really need this bag of clothes? Probably not. Yeah, and I think you really have to figure out what it is for you. Like what conversation do you have to have with yourself Mm -hmm. because it might not be that conversation another one that was good for me was I had a um a coach who we came up with okay what's the worst case scenario of me not getting my finances under control and the worst and, and what's a trigger word what's a trigger word related to that and the worst case scenario for me and this was very personal is my kids will resent me. My kids will grow mm. up and be like, my mom was so stressed out about money because she was an idiot with money and it affected our childhood and we resent her for that. Right. And so just the word resentment, just I think that word and I'm like, oh no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend my money there right. because that is a direct path to my kids resenting me. Wow, I yeah. see. That's that's an interesting way of long-terming it, right? Yeah. Instead of I need to take care of myself long-term, you found a negative consequence for not behaving but there's also the positive consequence and leo to your point about it being really hard to see who your future self is Mm -hmm. this kind of plays into that because the positive cons the positive byproduct for me is my kids may someday go my mom was self-employed and she kicked ass she was kind of heroic right so it's like you know imagining my kids going oh my mom was heroic they're not gonna say that for a ton of reasons you guys (laughs) well maybe not for a ton of years but they'll say it at some point they will yeah they will at some point they They will will look back and go my mom like kicked ass in these areas where she was really deficient and she changed it and fixed it and it's worth changing and fixing i think you know it's hard to uh change your family pattern and what you grew up in it's very difficult so even if you get the car turned halfway the other direction they can pick it up and turn it the rest of the way Mm -hmm. but if you don't do anything it makes their job even harder i think i know when i graduated school high school there was no money put away for college. I had to get a Pell Grant, a student loan. My dad paid a, a little bit of money, and I worked full time. And I thought to myself, I don't want my kids to have to do that much. You know, that it was a lot to mm-hmm. have to go through all of that. So I don't have a problem with my kids paying for college. Obviously, they don't need to do that. They don't need to do yeah. that. So I said, let's just not have it be that. That was important enough for me. Like you were saying, I don't want my kids to resent me. Yeah. I worked so hard. I was so stressed out in college. I never graduated because it was too hard. Um, And I don't want them to have to worry about that and have to worry about student loans and getting out and having all this heavy burden. I think it's hard enough to just figure out how to use a credit card. Yeah. Especially now, you know. Well, it's tough. I mean, the stress of having to pay for college while you have the stress of trying to complete college, it's tough because on the one hand, you think, well, it's a great lesson of appreciating college right and what it is but on the other hand you know the stress of having to go through both at the same time i think none of us want for our kids to have to be stressed out and you know you went through it and understand that but it also taught you something so it's you know how do you balance it yeah how do you balance it that is a hard hard question to answer in a lot of things especially when 
again, this hillbilly elegy book really, really hit home for me. And I've brought it up like eight times in the past three (laughs) episodes. It really hit home for me because he said in the end of the book, I wish I could take some of the things I had to learn in my really difficult childhood and could just put it in my son's brain. So he already knew that, but didn't have to go through the alcoholic grandmother who carried a gun everywhere and beat everybody up in public. And, you know, where you you don't want, I mean, I'm not going to do that, but I definitely had a lot of that in my background that taught me a lot of things that I would love to be able to just put in their brain and not have them have to have, you know, a broken home and two single parents who struggled financially and barely made ends meet and, you know, the mental health issues in my mom's house, I learned a, a lot. So I try to think, how do I give them those lessons in like a, a more gentle way? Because I want them to work. I started working when yeah. I was 13. I got my first job. And I've worked all the way up until Bert became, you know, successful enough where I just started working for him. But my kids don't want to work. Right. No interest. Actually, that's not true. Georgia has been babysitting for two years, but she's not highly motivated. <laughs> you know, I it's didn't. Tough. I don't know. I don't know what the what the right answer is because uh, my mom, you know, she she busted her ass to put me through college, and she wanted to make sure that I didn't have to pay for it. But I, you know, somehow in a good way, she she spun it and she you know she was like listen i i don't have a retirement account all my money is going into you know a house and and paying for your college i'm investing in you and it was a it was a positive reinforcement of it's not a burden for her but it was you know leo you're my retirement plan i'm right. investing and in you she's you're, got some expectations well, yeah and and so you know and for me i go man that it was so great she did that and so it instilled in me a little bit of a you know i'm going to i'm i'm going to make sure i work hard to show her it was a good investment right and, you know it's yeah I, I am i will be your retirement plan for the future and i had you know she she bought me my first car and however whatever her parenting style was that made me appreciate the car and i went you know every time she sees it i want it to be clean because yeah. i want her to know i appreciate it and i respect you know what it is she did for me right and so, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I wish I could bottle it up and go, yeah. I want to make sure I do that. Right. But I think it's just different for everybody. It's tough. It, it is. is. And I think it's important to get in touch with like what your story is in your own head and mm-hmm. your history about it. Because I know this about myself. What I know about myself is that I avoid things, period. Whatever it is, I'm like, oh, I ain't dealing with that. And so that's a good thing to know because it it changes the conversation that I have with my kids about money, about everything really, but about money for me to go, okay, wait, 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 this is me avoiding something. Mm. Now I'm going to address it. And everybody, everybody has a different story about money. And you really need to know what your particular story is. That's really good advice. So that you can fix it for your kids. Because almost to a person, it's probably not a great story if it's about money. You are right. You know, right. you know, I my whole life heard we didn't have enough money. There's not enough money. I don't have the money for that. Where am I supposed to come up with this money? And then another piece of it that came really from my dad was anybody that has money is bad. Yeah. There's no way they got it by good means. Right. Mm-hmm. They they cheated, they lied, they stole, they definitely the, they're the now they're the man. Yeah. That's holding me back. That's all I ever heard. And I I I stopped talking to my dad about money when Bert started doing better financially. I'd talk to him about money all the time. We were struggling. 
But once we started kind of succeeding financially, I stopped talking to him about it because I was like, I, I need to, I need to change the recording in my head. Mm-hmm. So if I talk to him and he gives me one sniff of, oh, you're becoming the man, I'm going to start behaving badly, right? It's going to yeah. make me because yeah. I don't want to dishonor my dad. It's such a yeah. innate kind of want to please your parents, whether you are an adult or not. There's some part of you, especially my dad, because he was my you know, he was my my savior in my childhood, so I never wanted to disappoint my dad. So I didn't talk to him about it for years and years and years until I felt like I had my own uh, tapes started in my head. Yeah. You know, to feel like, I remember writing, what do you want, you know, when I was in my 20s, and for financial stuff and what I wanted, I was trying to manifest, was security. It wasn't wealth. It wasn't, I want a million dollars. I kept writing, I want to not have to worry about money. I just don't want to worry about it. I just want to be secure. That's all I want. I didn't have any kind of dollar amount. That's what I wanted. Uh, Thank you, Halston. He just gave me five minutes. Um, And I wonder if, if that helps people too, is to not put a number on it because that number may not be achievable to say, I want to be, have $5 million in the bank by the time I'm 50. Well, <laughs> it may not happen, but for me, I went, I want to feel secure. I want to have a retirement fund and I want to be able to send my kids to college and I just want to not worry. That was a great piece of advice that I got years and years ago, which was, I think we all inherently start out by saying you, hit, you give yourself a financial target you know, by X age, I want to be making this much money. And then it's either you reach that age and you're not making it and you feel like a huge failure or you do it and then you're not, it's not fulfilling, Mm -hmm. you know, hitting, um, hitting targets that you set for yourself that aren't a dollar sign, I think are so rewarding. And so your story about Bert, I don't know what his goals are, but being able to write down achievable goals, Mm -hmm. um, and not hinging them on a dollar amount, I Mm -hmm. think, is very healthy um, and to me has been a really re- much more rewarding mentality right. than setting these either unrealistic expectations or you know these goals that um, are hinged on societal you know whatever you could live in one part of the country where one dollar amount means something and another where it means something else right and I just you know in all our conversations I, I don't think it's healthy to try and set those dollar expectations right you know, security security is a great one right instead of saying i, I will pay five thousand dollars on my credit cards by two years from now to right. say i will be uh debt free on two of my three credit right. cards in two years something like that would be yeah a better more achievable goal yeah i think that's what you're you're saying yeah, yeah. um Anything else we need to talk about credit? I mean, I can go on and on. Yeah. Forever, but, <laughs> but, Do you, you want to say stop. the book that you wrote? I don't know if I can. Okay. I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I can. Okay. I, I was given permission to talk about credit, but yeah, I yeah, didn't. Yeah. I didn't get permission to okay. say the name of the All book. Right. Yeah. Well, if you if you come up with the permission, it's I'll not put it on hard my to figure it out. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I do a quick Google search. And uh, two plus two. I think I'm listed yeah. as the editor, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I know ghostwriting is so fascinating to me. I've thought about your job so many times since we talked about it. I was like, that's such an interesting job. Yeah. It's so fun. It is, is it? It's so fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I love great. It, yeah. Well, thanks for talking to me about this. Absolutely. I think we answered a bunch of questions. Hopefully. Yeah. I hope so. I hope it was helpful. 
Um, it's never boring. Yeah. Right. I, hopefully no, it always so sparks something in someone and reaches someone. You know, there's so many things that we talked about and can continue to talk about that are relatable to a lot of people. So hopefully it triggered with somebody. Relatable and achievable. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's achievable. I think that's the one takeaway I would like people to know is that good credit is achievable by everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are resources everywhere to help you. Yeah. Don't ignore it. Just credit. To, you know, embrace yeah. it. And don't be afraid to have the conversations with, I mean, all of the different resources out there that can help you because you may find some things out that are really reassuring and helpful. And yeah, yeah. it shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be something that is embarrassing to think about. It should be something that you should own and it's empowering. Yeah, empowering. And if you want to feel better about your financial situation, you can just Google Americans who have declared bankruptcy. And it's like, you know, really impressive people. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> good to know. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. For a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. You could turn $10 into $250. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/fan and use code FAN. That's code FAN at prizepicks.com/fan. Must be present in certain states. Visit prizepicks.com for restrictions and details.